hey, your backup plan try to another awesome, awesome show today. You know, it's going to be an amazing one. It always is. If you're new here, welcome back to our show. My name is Tina again. I'm with your backup plan app, and I'm the creator and developer of your backup plan, uh, best selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. Just like that, life happens, life changes, life is never going to be the same. It's just that quick. I'm a financial advisor and an emergency preparedness coach, and I'm so happy to have everyone here today. If you are new here, please like, share, and subscribe down here in the corner if you already haven't, because we're always looking for amazing people. And if you're amazing, then you want to like and share and subscribe to our channel. But you know, we're on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. That's quite the mouthful of all these shows. And we have a special show today called Life's Unexpected Turns, Danielle's Blink Experience. You know, prepare to be captivated by Danielle shares his remarkable journey of personal transformation after a brain injury. It's going to be amazing. And in the blink of an eye, everything can quickly change and something happens um, and it's unexpected to you and your life will never be the same. It's life changing. And that's what we're here for because sometimes we're not given any five minute evacuation notice. Sometimes there's no time at all, like in a wildfire or a flood or a storm or a hurricane. We have to make those right decisions and choices, and we have to have the right emotions to be able to be in the right state of mind to make the right things happen. And in just most cases, it just happens. And are we prepared? No, we're not. But that being said, Make sure you like, share, and subscribe to our channel. We'd love to have you on board. Um, we would love to uh, have you share the show. So because we're always doing more shows and always, always on the weekends, we have also have a new show where you're walking and talking taboo with Tina. And we look at family, celebrity family estate feuds. And we just dropped today the show on Howard Hughes. And last week we talked about bank accounts. You know what happens to your bank accounts after death? Very interesting story as well. We'd love to have you watch more of our shows, if anything, and uh, share it as well. So let's have our short commercial and we'll bring on Daniel as soon as we're finished. See you in a second. We're back. Welcome back. You are going to be waiting for this show with Daniel. It's going to be awesome. Come on in, Daniel. Let, where did you go? <laughs> there you hey. are. We've, we have a special guest coming to us from Denver, Colorado today. Uh, Daniel Gospo Derek. Did mm -hmm. I say it right? Yeah. Say it quickly, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Licensed clinical social worker. And he survived a traumatic brain injury. Welcome, welcome to our show, Daniel. I'm so excited to hear more about your story. Thank you so much for having me, Tina. Oh, you're welcome. Um, where did it all start for you, Daniel? Yeah, so a lot of it originally from Wisconsin. The traumatic brain injury was the big part that started this whole kind of shift. And that was July 7, 2009. So my buddy and I were driving down a rural road and the two right tires went off the road. Um, we overcorrected and then overcorrected again because we were in the oncoming lane and then rolled four times. Wow. From, from there, I don't remember anything until I woke up after being put in a coma. But um, essentially what happened when I was unconscious was that I was the passenger and it was just the one car rollover. Um, the driver was able to find our cell phones and call EMS, the paramedics. That's good. Yeah. Probably saved my life. And then um, his mom 
who he called next was also is also a nurse and told them that since we are in a rural area taking me to a lower trauma hospital probably wouldn't be able to do anything for me if i have a brain injury so um they decided to take me directly to a higher trauma hospital which probably did save my life as well wow that's um, incredible how things you know did yeah. work out for you for that part things lined up quickly um, yeah so and when when did you wake up that you realized what had happened yeah so i they put me in a coma for three days um and then they weaned me off on the fourth day and from there i didn't i didn't it was weird i didn't know what exactly had happened but i asked if the driver was okay but my thought was is that i went through a huge time shift and i was in europe so I thought I was in France and I had gone through a time shift. That's weird, hey? <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely a a strange a strange feeling to have. But there was also a part of me that asked how is, you know, how's the driver doing? So I knew something but I don't I don't know. You Just, didn't have all the pieces together. Yeah. Yeah, it was all fragmented, but after after the actual accident they took me to the hospital, needed to have brain surgery. So they had to take a part of my skull off to stop the bleeding, fractured my skull. Um, I, in, At the I back or the front? My skull. Um, I don't know where the fracture was exactly, but I know they had to take off the left side of my skull because it was the left temporal lobe that was bleeding. Um and then I also had a stroke in my left prefrontal cortex or my front prefrontal lobe. So um, those pieces were there. And then um, also had um, my left lung was collapsed. So, yeah. From the seatbelt, do you think? Or? I don't know exactly what, you know, collapsed the lung, if it was just the jarring when you were rolling. Getting thrown around a few times. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Not sure what a lot of a lot of it was that caused it, but nonetheless, it caused it. And yeah, just were like you in, were you in pain, Daniel? When I came to, I was not really in pain because they had me on such heavy pain meds. You didn't have any of those weird dreams when they put you in a coma. I've heard that so many times from people. Mm. I did not have any dreams that i remember well that's a good thing granted that's back in 2009 too so um it's been a, it's been i think 14 years if my math is quick um so i don't i don't remember that and for the first so i did 10 days in the icu and well after the surgery the doctors looked at my parents were like we don't know if he's going to make it through the night so we need to be prepared for that and and they said if if he does the next 24 to 72 hours we'll say a lot about his recovery process and in 2009 i was 17 so i did have youth on my side which they said was a good thing oh that's helpful mm -hmm. yeah just in terms of your body being able to heal a little bit quicker but um for the first three days i was in the coma and then for a number of days afterwards, they would put me in the coma at night and take me out during the day. Oh. They would just kind of wean me off so I could still get a, a plenty of rest. But, yeah, it was a busy ICU room between doctors, speech therapists, physical therapists, family coming in and stuff like that. And after 10 days, they moved me to... Um, an inpatient rehab room for seven days and that's where the real real work started happening in terms of physical therapy multiple times a day speech therapy occupational therapy even must even some massage therapy um because your body's pretty pretty beat up yeah and then then when the pain when the meds aren't there there's pain right right discomfort everywhere um everything hurts it's like a I'm trying to think of a good description that listeners might 
might know. I, but it's I kind always of, say it's like having a five ton truck hit you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, um, well, I mean, we just had COVID. So if you've ever had the achiness with COVID or, you know, that first time in the gym and your muscles are sore, but imagine like that's everywhere. Yeah. Body, right. It's not just, you know, localized to a muscle group that you worked out or something. Right. What about your, your head itself? There was really no pain with that? Not, I mean, it was tender because they put, I think it was 22 staples in, you know, after the brain surgery, but not, it wasn't, you know. It wasn't like a broken arm or something. No, you know? no, it wasn't. And I wasn't. Your brain is incredible, really, isn't it? It doesn't. It's, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty intriguing. I mean, it's definitely something we are still you know, discovering in terms of clinical and treatment advancements. I mean, even some of the stuff around neurodegenerative diseases, right? Like um, MS, um, Parkinson's disease, even Alzheimer's, and trying to figure out some of some of those ways that we can help people heal or yeah. at least prevent further cognitive decline. Um, and I think that's, you know, definitely the part of speech therapy in terms of an injury to reconnect and get that brain firing at a level where you know, it needs to be at in order to navigate this world or at right. least as best as it can post-accident. Right. Um, you know, my brain injury wasn't anything like yours. But what I found is that you are disabled for a length of time, basically, in some shape or form, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, walking or balance or reading or what, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. But nobody knows, so mm. they don't treat you. Yeah, like. the invisible scars. Yeah, so I found that really, really difficult. Yeah, because on the outside you look healthy, right? Yeah. Um, but but on the inside it feels like somebody just took a jar of pickles and shook everything around, and every yeah. you know, the pickle juice is like all swirling with and it's murky and it's foggy and you're just like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just doing what people tell me to do and not really understanding the purpose or the larger picture around why you're doing certain things. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's part of how we have to respond in terms of emergency situations too, right? Like we can't stop. No. And the, the scary thing about an emergency is, um, when something tragic happens, like watching your house burn down or, mm -hmm. you know, having a car hit you or whatever that moment is that it happens, mm -hmm. your brain, even if you don't have any actual brain injury or something to your head or you're watching it even. Mm -hmm. um, the trauma. The trauma is just like your head goes into this fog and it disappears. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, and that's without any actual like brain injury to it. Yeah. It's just you aren't the same person. You might be mm -hmm. trying to help your, you know, your dad who just had a stroke or mm -hmm. but your brain is like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? You know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, and I think A, that's also that piece around who do you have in your support network to lean on to help even guide you. Yeah. Because maybe maybe whatever you've experienced is so severe that you've just dissociated and cognitively you're not there. You're just a shell. Yeah. Right? But maybe you still have children to take care of or, you know, bills to pay, whatever it is. Right. That's and, right. and we need to find, we need to have those people in terms of our support network. That's one of the biggest things for recovery. For sure. Especially because your brain isn't working. Mm -hmm. um, right. I've had, people watching their house burn down and they're they can't even talk like they're just mm -hmm. it's like you're mesmerized or something mm -hmm. you just lost your house and you don't know what you need like you just you're just so out of it mm -hmm. yeah it's it's almost like in terms of like world war one shell shock yeah yeah mm -hmm. that's right mm -hmm. um, and i'm sure the poor ukraine have a lot mm -hmm. of I can't imagine, you know, losing a whole apartment building next to you or half of the building and your friends. Or, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. must be horrible. Mm-hmm. And the people in Hawaii with the fires, and even even in Canada this year too, the fires have been horrific. Lauren. Yeah, terrible well, year. But everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And the hurricanes and tornadoes. I think we're getting better at that part for the areas that always seem to get hit. Mm-hmm. The emergency preparedness has increased quite a bit for people, mm-hmm. but not so much even still about yourself, like your documents, your mm. passwords, your, like, if you couldn't talk, what do you want someone to be able to do for you? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So yeah, and how those long are... did it take for you to get your speech somewhat normal? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because of the accident and because of the intubation, my vocal cords are pretty, pretty wrecked. So I couldn't talk more than a few sentences at a time. And that was probably for a few months. Um, but when I was still in the ICU, I was actually reading a book on Auschwitz from oh. World War II. And I asked my mom to bring it up to the hospital, my mom and dad to bring it up. And the speech therapist didn't think that I was serious, that I was trying to read. So she, the speech therapist at the time made me read out loud to her. Um, and that also demonstrated to them that there were still cognitive pieces that were moving, um, which was a good sign. Yeah. Um, you know, so speech in terms took a, took a little while, but the effort in terms of how to get there, Cause yes, I could read and I still struggled heavily finding the right words or with brain fog, with fatigue. I mean, I would, I would take, I would probably sleep 13 hours a night easy. And then I would take a two to three hour nap during the day just because my body was so tired. I think your eyeballs in your head get tired. It's the weirdest thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Like they just, they just want to be zoned out. Like they just need quiet time. Yeah. And your body, your body needs to de-stimulate in terms to heal. Right. I guess. Yeah. Do you find it still occurring? Not so much the fatigue. Sometimes I can't find the right words, especially if, you know, have had a few nights of rough sleep or something like that. Um, But I still, I mean, I damaged my left ear at least the hearing part of my ear. So I definitely still have like hearing loss there. And I still have double vision when I look in certain areas of my eye movements. So like those pieces still linger, but for the most part, human beings are pretty, pretty adaptable. And it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to kill that human spirit. Um, And I think, you know, part of those emergency relief, programs and stuff are starting to see the benefit of also having mental health therapy right on scene. Right. Right away. Process. Right. Versus, you know, six months or three years or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So. Did you have any problem with um, depth perception? I did not in terms of depth perception, unless I was looking out, into the area of my eyes or my vision where I have double vision that otherwise I did not have anything, but they did, they were concerned that I was going to have some issues around awareness, responsiveness, depth perception, and just judgment and recall that they took my license away for driving um, for a few months. And I had to retake the driver's driving test because they wanted me and everyone else to be safe, but right. So I think it's the judging thing. Cause I think your brain can't, especially if it's a busy intersection, mm-hmm. I find at the beginning when you're kind of learning to be normal again, if I want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if there was too many cars in the opposite direction, and then there was people like if there was a lot of activity Mm-hmm. I found like I had to stop then. Okay. There's car there, car there and people there. Mm-hmm. Like you actually have to almost say it out loud 
Yeah, like you have to manually move through the information versus get and assess it and go. Like you don't even think about it when you have nothing wrong with your head. (laughs) Like it's just right. Like your eyes click and you see it and Mm -hmm. it seems fine. Right. It's so strange to have to go back to finding a way that works for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and reconnecting and, you know, finding new neural pathways to do certain things, right? Because maybe not only with the TBI or the car accident, have you had sustained that type of an injury, but maybe you also, part of your body doesn't work like it used to, or maybe there's a spinal cord injury too, right? Right. And finding well, we'll find that out right away, right? That. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, finding those ways to live out your values, especially if, you know, you were very active and maybe into fitness or hiking. And it's like, how do you do that when you struggle to walk? Right. And finding, right. finding those ways to still, still live out those values is so crucial. For that you find person. important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just how long about your walking? Did it take a long time? I... No, I, so I, well, fortunately, no, I don't remember the day, but I was still in the ICU and I walked holding onto a wheelchair with three nurses around me with a gate belt around the nursing station's desk. Um, so you wanted to try for sure. Cause oh, you, yeah. you were doing it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I don't, I think it was the mentality that I was kind of raised with, um, to push into a challenge right and to also one of the struggle points too with recovery was i wanted it all now i I, the patience part right it's very hard yeah because it's forced upon you and that can be a very difficult process if there's not acceptance in there um so when i was in the icu one of the the doctors told myself and my family that I probably wouldn't graduate with my cohort that I started high school with. Oh. And and I told them I would, and I did. And I think, A, that's mindset, right? Why and do you think they said you couldn't? I think they didn't know at the time where my cognitive deficits and challenges would be, what my recovery and healing process would be like, you know, they can't predict the future, nothing against the doctors, but they're just like, Hey, like be prepared. Right. Right. And it's also kind of like, you know, if you can turn those and not that, not that being told that was the, was the hardest part of the whole recovery definitely wasn't. But if you can turn those traumatic events or that stress that you're experiencing into a foundation to like platform up, right? Level up, evolve in terms of mindset, in terms of mental health, in terms of health and wellness in general, right? Right. Um, you know, you can use it as a platform and that that stuff can fuel your fire, right? And that's what that's what a lot of people do when they've experienced extreme circumstances is if they can use that for fire, it's like they run on something that some people are like, where does that come from? Right. Right. Nobody knows. <laughs> right. Just there. Right. Whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, whether it's physiological or a combination of all of them. Right. Right. But, I mean, like we were talking about, like it's hard to kill the human spirit when you look at people who survived for years in concentration camps or endured hundreds of years of, you know, um, oppression, discrimination, right? And yet they still show up. Right. Mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think this did for you in your life? What do you, do you feel like there was a purpose? Yeah. I, so before the accident, I didn't know where I was going in my life. And afterwards, I remember I was not able to stay at home alone because they were concerned about possible seizure activity. And my sister is a social worker and we were having conversations about the, that, about that profession specifically and the flexibility that you can have as a social worker. So 
from that moment, I started researching and that's what led me to, you know, jumping into um, the social work profession as an undergraduate degree. And after a few years of work, I was like, this is what I want to do, but I need to, I need to go higher for my master's in terms of what I really want to do is like that one-on-one therapy and supporting people who have TBIs. So um, definitely that the whole accident was that conversation really wouldn't have happened if it wasn't there. And I knew it when I was in the ICU or in, in the hospital, I should say, I would be somewhere in this profession, the helping profession. I just didn't know where, be it nurse, be it physical therapist, speech therapist, social work, right? Right. I knew somewhere. So you just had to specialize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so I think what do you find with your clients that you have and what you've been through? What do I find? What, what do, you, do you find beneficial to experience? I'm sure, I mean, you, you exactly you feel for them. You know mm-hmm. what they're going through. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think every TBI and every person experiences, uh, experiences them differently. Um, and recovery looks much different for every person too. But I think it does give a level of empathy that somebody who has not gone through something of that caliber, right? Yeah. You know, obviously it's not exactly the same. And I'm not trying to say that. Yeah. Say like, you know, adversity has hit me too. Right. Right. Where do we go from here? How do we start working to rebuild your life? Right. Maybe some people are, you know, only a few months out from their TBI situation. Some people are years out, right? So recovery looks very different. Some people are acutely still having symptoms, headaches, you know, pain, brain fog. Some people are like, yeah, like I just get tired at the end of the day, but I can still feel it. So really trying to meet them where they're at and is, is a crucial piece. And then also with the emotions that come with that and the changes and identity, grief and loss, right? I mean, yes, all of that. Yeah, it's it's it gets it gets pretty large pretty quick. Yes. How do you find just I don't know you found your purpose, mm-hmm. you know, and with what you're doing, but how do you help others find the better picture of what they're going through? Mhm. It's a really good question. I think it takes time. It's not something that can be rushed, right? Just because you're working with a therapist doesn't mean that you're going to be fast-tracked. It's still a lot of patience. After an hour, I'm fit. I'm fine now. Yeah, not so much. Um, I think the patience is the part that mm -hmm. kills. Oh, patience and acceptance, right? Because it's almost like, I mean, it's like anything, cancer, neurodegenerative disorders, right? It's like, you're telling me I have to accept this. Like, I don't want to accept it. I'm going to wrestle with it till I'm blue in the face. Right. Yeah. And definitely you can do that. I, I did that too. And I think there's a piece too of like, okay, like how do, what do, what do I do here? If this isn't going to answer my questions, if this isn't going to move me closer towards recovery or healing, right. How do I channel this energy in a different direction? Right. Maybe it's starting a podcast, right? I don't know. Writing a book or yeah. right. starting starting to give speeches, TED Talks, right? Whatever it might be. Helping yeah. others in some shape or form. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, that acceptance is definitely the patience part is pushed on you. And then the acceptance part is part is what we wrestle with. Yes. And that's a very exhausting battle. It is because it comes up in your head and you're constantly trying to <laughs> mitigate it. Like, yeah, it's, you know, every, you know, it's, it's not only, not only is it just acceptance, but it's also like all the reminders too. Right. Yeah. And scars, people asking people, people talking your own thoughts. Right. Or, right. You know, one of the hardest parts for me in my recovery was, I had I'd sustained a concussion afterwards because your brain is very sensitive after going through a traumatic brain injury. And it was just something simple. Like I think I hit my head on a cabinet or something and something like, you know, a person without a TBI would 
you know, it wouldn't even bother them. But for me, like I had a moderate concussion from it and it threw off my sleep cycle. So I would, I would have to go to bed at eight to fall asleep by like 10. Yeah. Um, but my thoughts would just race and race and the emotions would come up of anger and just disgust that like, this is where I'm at. And you know, it's like rest. I was wrestling with it. Right. <laughs> and I should yeah. have been sleeping, but, and I think there was just, I don't know if it was one night, but it was like a period of a few nights where I'm just like, is this worth it to like wrestle? And then it slowly started the shift. Right. Yeah. It's telling us all about the emergencies in the area here. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> hopefully they were, hopefully they're prepared. Exactly. In all shapes and forms, because mm-hmm. you never know what it is. Yeah. Um, please like, I'm going to take a quick second to make sure everybody, you know, like share and subscribe down below in that corner. I guess it's this way box somewhere there. And uh, you know, cause we'd like to have you on our on our subscription list. So um, what do you think people wrestle with since you work with them? You've been through it. Mm-hmm. What about, did it, does it also bring up a sense of what if in your mind now yeah. after something has happened, it, it must yeah. make you more realize more that hey i you know we should have a will or mm. you know that kind of thing of having a family plan of some sort like an emergency plan of some sort yeah i think i mean i was 17 when mine happened so that thought wasn't there not at the time but yeah but like now it's like wow like you know if you know both adults die in a family and the house is in their names, right? It's like, where does that go? Yeah. Right. How does so it that just go? makes you think differently yeah. because it's happened. You definitely want systems in place that are easy to reference, you know, having, having a, you know, so to speak a will, but also a trust in place. Yeah. Um, to guide. Especially when you have kids and stuff yeah. and get mm-hmm. married. And- yeah. I think so, I think when it, nothing happens to you, you'd probably be sitting there right now telling us that, you know, nothing's going to happen, and I just don't think of it. I've spoken to so many people like that. Mm-hmm. But after something has happened that's life-changing like that, it yeah. almost puts you down on a ladder, a notch. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean it's, it's very humbling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To see, like, holy man... I'm literally one instance away from my life either being turned upside down or dying. Yeah. Right. And I think for me, it was nice to experience that when I was 17 versus like 25 or 30. Right. But it's definitely has, has a humility component to it. Absolutely. It makes you realize that, Hey, I'm not Superman. Like I thought it was. Yeah. And I think, I think it also puts other stuff into perspective too. I mean, like back in, I don't know, the 80s and 70s, right? The importance of a job was everything like a W-2 job. And now it's like, well, they're going to fill that job whether you're there or not. Like, you might as well do what you're passionate about. Right. And how do people go on with the relationships when they're struggling with themselves? It's a good question. I mean, just from a high-end perspective and a blunt answer, struggle, right? So when you go through, I mean, just trauma in general, not even talking TBIs, um, the grief and loss associated with who you were before and who you are now or who you perceive yourself to be can be detrimental to a lot of things that you find passionate in your life. Also, where you are in that grief and loss process can also be equally painful the emotions that you experience the anniversaries that show up or the reminders that come yeah so i think the interpersonal piece with other people is it's fluid and it's dynamic 
depending on what's showing up for the person that day, that week, right? You're not around the intersection that you had this happen at, but what if you, or that road, but what if someone does still have it within them? And that's hard to mm -hmm. go back to. For sure, for sure. And I think there's, there's a part of, you know, some people will want to face that, right? We live in a different state now, so it's not yeah. like I can just drive there and go. Um, I have not been back to that exact intersection, but I have been in the area, um, just uh, not not out of avoidance or anything. It's just like we were driving through for a family thing, and you know, our route did not need to take us that way for time purposes. Um, but I think my my trauma response in terms of like Peter Levine and like your body completing the trauma cycle of release happened when I was in inpatient rehab and the rec therapist took me to the valet parking outside the hospital. And I was just shaking on the bench as cars would slowly roll out Yeah, and then to be then to, then to be parked later or further down in the parking lot. And that was uncontrollable shaking. But I think that's that was part of my trauma completion cycle right there was my body was releasing that energy. So, like, I can think about the accident. I can talk about it, obviously, right? Right. Uh, and I've also gone to therapy, too. So To talk like, about it. Mm -hmm, yeah, those pieces, like, they're there. Don't get me wrong, right? Anniversaries come up, you know. Like, every anniversary, I text the driver or message the driver and say thank you. You know, it's been mm -hmm years 16 years now 17 so um but they don't they just don't it doesn't seem like to have that trauma has its claws in me anymore you know it's more part of my story of who i am right mm -hmm. but it's still there that you realize <laughs> that it's still there oh yeah yeah I'll always be. yeah i find uh do you find like roads that are near you that would trigger like that's these triggers that you know, affect us, I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe a road I'm, that was similar or, you know, or a car did the same thing, you know. Or mm -hmm. I don't so much have those anymore. I think A, therapy helped tremendously. B, um, I, don't, I don't know how to, how to describe it. But it's something along the lines of acceptance with there will be external reminders all the time and being able to almost unhinge from them to say, yeah. yep, like this reminds me of it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe just, recognition, like to yeah. recognize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking about that. And yeah, it did happen. And it's cool. Like, you know, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I see my scars on my hands and my arms every day. But that doesn't like pull me into, you know, where where I was when I got them. It's just more of like a stamp on my identity, if you will. Right. Right. And now it's like, how does that feel? It. Yeah. How do you think it felt at the beginning when you did see them? Did it trigger you? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they were painful too. They had stitches in, and um. And I find with grief there are triggers out there that you just don't even think of. And then all of a sudden you're at a grocery store or something and something triggers you. Yeah. Or like seeing a car accident. Right. And there's definitely those pieces that are, can elevate the nervous system. Right. And then a lot of therapy is how do you re-regulate your nervous system? Right. Yeah. So that you can be in that homeostasis so that when if trauma happens, right, you can you can keep that rational brain attached so you can make informed decisions and not be reactive, right? Because yes, we need to keep moving forward, but we also need to be clear clear minded. Yeah. I don't think people realize when something happens how your brain like it just even without your brain injury, if it if it was you know, other injuries. It's just even watching something like that or mm -hmm. it's just so traumatic that 
guess our brain is made so it turns off. Yeah, it's a survival mechanism, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at fight and flight, freeze and collapse responses and in, in just an evolution or even just on animals and themselves, right? If they can run, they run. Yeah. They can't, they'll collapse and the predator will think that they're dead and actually bring them back to wherever they're going to eat them. And hopefully they, when they come back to the, the prey, the predator isn't there and they can just get up and run. Right? Yeah. Or they hide, I guess. Yeah. What we want to do is hide. (laughs) Right. Right. From, and, and hiding too is also a form of freeze, right? Because you can't fight, you can't run. Right. Right. Do you find a lot of people just try and really hide in a room or, or really become really unsociable because Mm -hmm. you're trying to figure things out in your brain? Yeah, I think a, it takes a lot of energy to engage in introspection, especially not only after a TBI, but also just trauma, right? And work through some of those identity pieces. And I think avoidance, control, and escape are very, they can be very effective short term, but typically, you know, like if you think like substance use, right? That's a form, usually a form of avoidance of some level, right? Right. And short term, it works great. But when you don't have that substance, when you don't have that that high, everything's still there, right? So long-term, it has disastrous effects in terms of your health, in terms of your well-being, in terms of where your values are, right? So, so there's many different forms. I mean, TV could, you know, binging stuff on Netflix every single night. Not saying that there's anything wrong, but like if there's a trauma or something that's being avoided, right? Right. It's just kicking the can down the road. Just putting it there for later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But sooner yeah, or later so it comes out. So it's better just to deal with it. I I can't speak for everyone, but I've I've noticed for myself it was better just to deal with it. Yeah. But we don't want to have that hurt and pain and it's no. like hard work. So. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And then there's also the fear too of like what happens if like therapy wouldn't work, right? Right. Then am I truly broken? Yeah. Do you think your brain ever actually just repairs itself back to I don't I think there's always gonna be like scar tissue if there's an injury, right? In terms of a physical TBI. So in that way I would say no, it that doesn't heal itself. But in the same way, our brains have a lot of plasticity and we can grow new neural networks to compensate or learn more different ways of doing things, which I mean is a form of healing. So I would say yes and no. It's more right. of not just yes or no, it's yes and no. Right. Yeah, that's the brain is, is an amazing thing that I don't think they really know that much to it yet. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. You know, can we live without part of our brain? Or yeah, it just kind of heal itself. And- mm-hmm. and there, there's some pretty remarkable stories about people who've been shot in the head, or like Phineas Gage, right? And back in it was the 1800s, and he was laying that railroad tile, and it went through his head. And, you know, they noted he was still alive, but his identity had shifted, right? So that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess bullets, yeah, like you said, I've seen that too, where people have been able to come out of that, which seems amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even too, the, the concussions, right? Car accidents, IEDs, military experiences, right? Yeah, so. all trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, falling <laughs> off of a ladder, ice skating, hitting your head, right? Yeah, yeah. So you work with all kinds of different people. Yeah, so I I see people who have traumatic brain injuries and not mental health challenges, but I also see people who have mental health challenges and traumatic brain injuries, as well as just people who have uh, mental health challenges. So just looking at like sexual abuse or physical abuse or, you know, adult or childhood neglect, right? Mm -hmm. Some of those pieces and then depression, um, anxiety, schizophrenia, stuff like that. Wow, that covers a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing. Keeps it, keeps it, keeps me on my toes. Yeah, I bet. 
I bet it does. And I think people have more patience with you as well as you have with them when you've been through something like this. It can be, right? I mean, recovery takes time. Yeah. And you can't push somebody through just because you want to see them heal, right? They well, need to we live in that society. Mm -hmm. We want it now. Right. Right. So it's hard to be patient. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think also approaching therapy with that patient, that patience piece, right, is crucial. Because yeah. if, if it comes in as like rushed, it may not cover everything that it needs to cover. Right. There's parts of it missing that it's mm -hmm. going to collapse at some point down yeah. the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's been an amazing story of yours today. Um, do you have a final message that you'd like to give anyone? Yeah, I think we're all going to be hit with some level of adversity in our life. Probably a lot of the listeners already have on some level. Um, but it's how do we use that to create a foundation where we can we can evolve, we can elevate to a different or a better version of ourselves, whatever that might look like. Oh, that's awesome because you've been working with these people. So you really know and respect them and probably give them a lot of time. You sound like you're very good at what you do. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I think there comes a part where you can learn so much from a book, but when mm -hmm. you've experienced it, you come from a whole other side of things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's amazing how you came through and you're here today to tell us. Mm, thank you. You know, because I guess they didn't know how you'd be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they didn't know if I would make it through the night, so. Is that because they didn't know if the brain would stay? Because it really works all the other organs, I guess, so to speak, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I I mean, I think there's multiple pieces, right, in terms of how's the brain going to function? Is the brain, is what we did in terms of interventions going to work? Is the brain really going to stop, right? How is a stroke going to impact his functioning? Um and I think, again, doctors also are like, they can't predict. So like, this is probably going to be worst case scenario here. Yeah. Start down at the bottom. So you have yeah. something to go up to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Well, thank you for coming and sharing that great story, Daniel. It's truly amazing that how you're giving back to others of what yeah. you've experienced. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I would, you know, at some point, maybe we could talk about other areas of, mm -hmm. of what you deal with, with, yep. with clients, you know, love to have you come back on. And I don't think we talk about brain injury enough because yeah. it does encompass grief and as well as the complicated mental health that we deal with. And, and also huge financial burdens in terms yeah. of medical bills, debt, expenses, also needing maybe maybe the person can't manage their money afterwards, right? Right. And needing or a for pay. A part of the time even. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's why, like Daniel says, it's important to have a some sort of plan to to have all this kind of taken care of, and it kicks in when you're in that sort of situation. So I think that would work out really well. And we do have webinars coming up in October and November for emergency preparedness, as well as um, looking at leaving a legacy for others uh, as, as another point of view to look at. Because when you think about it and you're gone and do your kids really know who the dad was or who mm -hmm. the grandfather was or, yeah. you know, all of that kind of stuff. So it's important mm -hmm. to leave some sort of legacy behind that the kids and future generations can understand and appreciate the people that were before them. But yes, thank you. Thank you so much. It's that time. I can't believe it. I could ask a hundred more questions mm -hmm. for sure. But you know, like we talked about with Daniel, we're not Superman. We think we are and we act like we are, but we're nothing's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, nothing's going to happen. No, but it does. Mm -hmm. It's far from the truth. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And we can look at the last five years with the pandemic, the shootings in the schools and the streets and the work accidents and car accidents and the overdoses and the pandemic and not to mention the crazy wars that we're having to deal with these days. These are all going around the world. One place isn't any easier to deal with than the other because of our storms and our crazy weather of climate change. So um, if you're thinking of that special someone right now watching the show and you haven't reached out to them in a very long time and you don't know when their last birthday is going to be and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So make sure you reach out to them today. Uh, Call them, knock on their door, whatever it takes, FaceTime them and tell them how much you love and care about them today because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Um, and I always end our show with Carol Burnett um, because she just made everything right with her sense of humor and her comedy. So I mm-hmm. always end with Carol Burnett. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it, comes a time we have to say so long so long everybody i love and appreciate you stay safe be kind and get make sure you have some sort of plan and if you're not sure make sure you check our web free webinars on our facebook group your backup plan and we can help you out with that and thank you danielle for coming i really really appreciated all your great information yes thank you again tina for having me Oh, thank you. And thank you, listeners, because like Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan till you get punched in the mouth. So stay tuned for our next show coming up next week and our recent Howard Hughes on the weekend. We just dropped on our YouTube channel as well. What an amazing story that is with Howard Hughes as well. So make sure you don't miss it. We love you. Till next time. Bye.